0: This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska. A place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net.
1: Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him.
0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Brad, and I am the Transitional Lead Pastor. And I am, uh, well, it was a year ago today that I showed up here for the very first time. And... Uh, And you'll remember that weekend because that was uh, the weekend that one of the worst windstorms that has ever taken place in uh, the Anchorage Bowl and surrounding communities happened. And I think you went... What, three, four days, some of you, without power? And the house that I was staying in when I first got here, they, of course, had a generator. So I got here and I thought, oh, this is great. You know, it's warm. And the, the only downside to to it was, was that every night at 8 o'clock, the people who own the, the house shut the generator off. So I'm sitting in this little uh, place in the dark by myself going, wow, this is quite something here in Alaska. I want to say this to you. Um, having been here a year, and uh, now I can start being honest with you. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, you know, when you're a transition pastor, you you uh, you fly in. I'm, you, I'll use some uh, air airline imagery here, and you try to get a read of a congregation as quickly as you can, so that you can be helpful. And uh, th- sometimes, um, w- when you get into a, a situation, you say to yourself. Whew, I had no idea and I can't wait until I get out. But I want you to know that uh, this has been a really delightful time for uh, Roxy and me. And Thank you for, for letting us hang out with you for the last year and for however long it continues to be. So thank you. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I I can say to get another applause out of you. This is really good. Uh, We are in the (laughs) last. Okay, hey Tyler. Tyler, if my sermon goes longer today, it's not my fault. It's there. You know. Um, Hey, we're 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 in the last Sunday of this sermon series that I've called um, Wild: The Unpredictable Jesus. Some of you are saying to yourself at this moment, "Thank you." Oh, you know, this has been too much of this. But um, the text that we had read a moment ago is uh, the basis for some thoughts that I want to present to you today. And the title of my sermon, as you can see in your worship guide, is called Jesus and the Kingdom Redo. And I think redo is either French or Latin, which basically means Again. And I, I may have already had a sermon about Jesus and the kingdom, but I, I wanted to kind of come all the way around at the end of this series and try to pull together a lot of the loose ends that we've been thinking about over the last uh, six, seven, eight weeks. And even if you weren't here for all of them, I think you've probably got a pretty good uh, picture that uh, Jesus was anything but conventional in the way he approached um, some of the, some of the issues that he faced. He was anything but conventional when it came to uh, confronting and being confronted by the religious leaders of his day. And uh, as you saw in this text this morning, here again we have a picture of Jesus sort of being hounded, being harassed, if you will, by the religious folks. And we see Jesus very adeptly sort of sidestepping the trap that they were trying to establish for him while at the same time making a very, very important point about the character of the kingdom. And that's where I kind of want to pick up with you today. You see, at first glance, when I read this text some time ago, I uh, I, I thought this passage would be a prime opportunity for me to preach another stewardship sermon. You know, if it's driven by the text, then I'm happy to do it. But then, as I, I I delve deeper, hold on, relax, you know, hold on to your wallets. But as I delve deeper into this during the course of this week, I realize this this text isn't really about money in in the sense uh, that it appears, but it's about something else. Uh, we discover this text is really about loyalty. Loyalty to the kingdom of this world versus loyalty to the kingdom of God. It's about devotion. It's about where, what space our head is in when we're engaging in sort of our life pursuits. Is our head in a space that's saying, I'm going to be first, I'm going to be on top, I'm going to get where I need to be? Or is our head in a space that says, I am going to push others to the front, I am going to fall back, I am going to in humility serve rather than be served? That's what this text is about. That, in a nutshell, if you don't hear anything else I say to you this morning, is the contrast between the kingdom of this world and the empire, if you will, that's what I'm going to refer to it as, and the kingdom of God. It's about who goes first. It's about who goes first. Now, you know, at some level, this passage does have something to do with money, but uh it's, it's, it's to the extent that, that money, both then in Jesus' day and even in our day, and I just happen to have some in my pocket here, which is really unusual for me, but at any rate, it, to the extent that money represents power. And of course, you know it does. When you got, when you got it, you can buy stuff. When you got it, in certain contexts, you can influence people, right? In, in a political realm. I'm watching a a TV show um, because because uh, the Walking Dead is is on, and I'm waiting for the next season to come out. I'm watching a TV show. What is it called with Kevin Spacey? What? Not Under the Dome. No. Does any of you watch that? What's it called? House of Cards. And this show is fascinating to me because it's all about political power. It's all about deception and intrigue. And, and whether it's accurate or an accurate representation of what goes on in, in Washington, D.C. or in Juneau, I don't know. But, but that's what this passage that we're looking at today is trying to, to draw a stark contrast about. And that is that there is a fundamental difference about the way the kingdom of this world operates and the way the kingdom of the God, uh, kingdom of God functions. Um, this passage is a passage that, that might challenge us a little bit as we think about our own lives and as we think about the way in which we interact in both of those worlds. And and here's the dilemma that that I see presented in this text that was read for us a moment ago. The dilemma is this. If we choose to align ourselves with the kingdom of God by, by choosing to follow Jesus, I mean, it's pretty much that simple, does God's kingdom and God's kingdom values penetrate to every Aspect of our lives Or Do we com- conveniently Sort of compartmentalize Our faith From all the other parts of our lives That's in effect What this passage is about So I'd like to ask you to pray with me As we explore this passage And as perhaps we feel um, The truth of this passage uh, Stepping a little close To us In our particular circumstances let's pray oh god I uh, I'm grateful for the scripture that gives me a window into what life in the kingdom looks like but I don't always like it when that picture points to some aspects of my life that I have conveniently Tucked away in a closet or in a place that I don't have to think about. And today I pray that you would be gentle with us and that you would call us into this text in such a way that it becomes more clear to us, clear to us the difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ I pray, amen. So, as I said a moment ago, this is actually a question of loyalty, and uh, the question at the heart of Jesus' encounter with with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as you you saw it, as you heard it read for us, was uh, essentially their attempt to trap Jesus yet one more time to undermine the authority of the Roman government by being or, on the other hand, by being seen in collusion with the Roman government and, as a result, ticking off the religious authorities. So that was the trap that they were trying to set for Jesus. And, and for Jesus, of course, to call into question the payment of taxes to Caesar, that would be, in a, in a Roman culture, an act of treason. Because that was the way in which uh, the Romans you know, kept the coffers filled And were able to do many of the things that they did. Uh, For Jesus to, on the other hand, brush off the question of of whose face was on this coin, was to risk being accused of of actually subjugating himself to the Roman culture and standing against the the religious authorities, the the, uh, Jewish um, authorities. So this is one of those classic damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situations that Jesus finds himself in. And as we have seen Jesus in the past, in predicaments exactly like this, we have seen how adeptly he sort of recognizes the trap that he's about to be uh, caught in, and uh, he is able to sidestep it. So let's take a look how he does that. He, he responds to, uh, to the religious leaders by asking them if they have a, a Roman coin that has a face of the ruling Caesar on it and they present one to him when, and, and think about that, how ironic that the very people that are trying to trap him can actually reach into their pocket and pull the coin out that they're trying to nail Jesus to the cross with if you will and so Jesus uh after receiving this coin, he probably looks at it and he maybe rolls it around in his finger looks at both sides of it and then he asks uh, the religious leaders, he says, well, whose picture is on here? And, and at this per- point, I imagine in my mind, as I, as I try to live this text uh, a little bit, try to imagine being right there, looking on as these leaders are, are con- conversing with Jesus, re- I can imagine that the religious le- leaders can hardly contain themselves because uh, Jesus is about to walk headlong into their trap. I imagine with a smug smile, one of these religious leaders replied that Caesar's image, of course, is on the coin. And they, they wait for what seems like an eternity as Jesus continues to turn this coin over and over in his hand. Now, as a, as a very brief sidebar, I want to say to you that we must understand that in the ancient world, the ruling leader, the Caesar, the, the prime minister, the president, whatever you want to call him, always minted coins with their own picture on them. That was how it was done. And, uh, there's at least two reasons why they did that. One was as a symbol of power. You want to know who's in charge? And where your next meal Is going to come from Just look at the face that's on the coin That's in your pocket And the second reason they did this of course Is um, uh, basically um, It established Sort of their Their authority Over all other authoritarian Structures in that culture Including the religious authorities So Jesus Is turning this coin over And uh what seemed like an eternity of silence all of a sudden Jesus flips the coin back to the uh, to the religious leaders and he, he says to them give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's and this is what the scripture says right after that it says and they were amazed and they were amazed Now, I don't know exactly what they were amazed at. Were they amazed at the fact that Jesus was able to escape their little trap? Were they amazed by by Jesus' wisdom that he was reflecting in this answer? We don't know exactly what they were amazed at, but we know this. They were amazed. So hold on to that for a second. So what we have in this text then really, as I've already tried to suggest to you, is a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And this encounter between Jesus and the religious leaders over the image that is stamped on this ancient coin is, is really, if you want to know, kind of the ultimate stewardship text. But not stewardship in the sense of, of, you know, let's pledge more money to, to keep the lights on, but stewardship in the, in the sense that where our hearts are, are oriented, that's where we go. You see, God's kingdom and Caesar's empire are diametrically opposed to each other. And what is true then about the relationship between the kingdom and whatever prevailing ruling authority is no less true today. Did you hear what I just said? This isn't just about the Roman Empire. This is about whatever empire happens to be ruling in the place that you live. You cannot follow both empires. Though many of us try. God's kingdom is, is an upside-down kingdom where, where the last will be first. You know that. Where the servant will be served, where, where the least will be the most important. Tell me, if I was to run for political office and those three statements that I just made were the, were the benchmark of my platform, how many of you think I would get elected in the kingdom of this world? not very many people get elected with that platform you can't follow both both you see the kingdom of of god is where the last are first but in the kingdom of this world it's cutthroat it's a doggy dog kingdom where the last one to the top is out of luck where the pursuit of wealth and power is the indicator of status and where the road to success is littered with the corpses of those who have been trampled along the way. Now, some of you uh, might be thinking to yourselves at this point, Brad, you're being a little dramatic, don't you think? You know, the kingdom of this world isn't that bad. You see, what I've tried to do throughout this series of sermons is point out to you that Jesus' kingdom is not just another add-on. It's not like you go get your oil changed at the local oil shop and they give you the 50-point check to make sure all the other things in your car work. It's not like that. The kingdom of God that is represented by Jesus stands, and I, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but I want to be really clear, in contradiction to the values of all earthly kingdoms of all time. And that's what made Jesus so radical. That's what made Jesus so wild. You know, it it, it might be able to be argued that American democracy is not as brutal as the reign of Caesar. If you want to make that argument, you can. But that's really not the point. The objective of empire, the kingdom of this world, always stands in opposition to the kingdom of God at some point. It always does. Now, during this past week, uh, the news media reminded us of a significant time in our history when the color of one's skin determined one's status in our society. There was a movement that culminated in a speech that was given on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. by a young Baptist preacher named Martin Luther King, Jr., And this young preacher understood something that, that most of the half a million people who gathered that, there that day 50 years ago did not understand and some, and most of us don't understand this either. He understood that the political change that was necessary could not be accomplished by political means only. He understood. That the power of his speech on that day 50 years ago Was the reality of a kingdom That never intended for people to be treated differently Regardless of who they are or where they came from The reality of a kingdom that God called individuals To transformation from the inside out The reality of a kingdom whose king was not just another political leader Trying to, to garner votes for the next election but whose king laid down his life so that the people from every walk of life might dwell in this kingdom of peace and justice. See there you go. The kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. And and Dr. Martin Luther King was not the first people uh, first person to recognize that. Jesus recognized that before him. Now, now hold on to that thought for a moment. It was only a few years earlier, in 1958, that the political powers of that day voted to name Alaska the 49th state in the Union. 1958. And and a newspaper man from Fairbanks, Alaska, a young political appointee named Ted Stevens... And a host of other Alaskans at that time worked feverishly to try to influence the Congress of the United States to vote on a bill that would make Alaska a state rather than a territory. And I don't know if any of you were around here back then. I suspect a couple of you were. That was an exciting time, I would imagine. And for a number of years, I don't know how many exactly, every time the bill was about to be presented to Congress to be brought for a vote, a group of Southern Democrats who voted against uh, almost everything, but in this case, they voted against allowing Alaska into the Union. And they did it time and time again. I learned this in my introduction to Alaska history class that I took at UAA. (laughs) Do you know why they voted against granting Alaska statehood? Do you know why? It had nothing to do with this beautiful piece of land that we call our home state. It was because they were afraid by allowing Alaska into the Union, it would change the balance of power in Congress that would result in a civil rights amendment that would make persons of any color, of any background, of any race, of equal status. That's what they're afraid of. Now don't you find that fascinating? That only five years later, that's exactly what happened after Alaska got voted in. You see, the kingdom of this world is always about the pursuit of self-interest and political brinkmanship, and the kingdom of God is always about pursuing others first. Now, I, I want you to know that I'm not knocking politics here at all. In fact, to the contrary, I believe that the only hope of our political process, even here in Alaska, as nutty as it is, is when people of faith and people with integrity and people with a vision to serve actually stand up and are willing to speak truth to power. In fact, I know there's a number of people in this congregation, I don't know if if you're in the... In the uh, congregation at this moment who are elected to various positions and I want to say way to go that is where, if that's where God's calling you, that's where you need to be and for the rest of you if you feel any sense at all that God's calling you into this arena if, if you understand the conflict between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God and want to go into that, uh, that ring go for it the reason I, I'm telling you this is because the kingdom of God is always about others. While the kingdom of this world is always about maintaining the status quo, the kingdom of God is always about the transforming presence of God, changing us into citizens of God's kingdom so that we might look more like Jesus to the other kingdoms of this world. Well, what what are the characteristics of this kingdom then? As we conclude this series of sermons that we've been looking at the wilder side of Jesus, let me just offer you a brief reminder of what God's kingdom actually looks like. And and again, please understand, I, I'm not promoting a particular political agenda here. I, I don't care whether you are a Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or some other goofy uh, category. It doesn't matter to me. This is not about this. In fact, this really transcends that, if you think about it. And, uh, but what I do want you to understand is that uh, the nature of this conflict is real and the tension that we will experience when we start to to make decisions and stand for the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of the world in which we live we will feel some tension in fact i you know i could have preached this sermon 15 years ago and i would have known it um based on sort of a broad uh, over overlook of this topic and what i some reading i had done uh, outside but i experienced firsthand what this tension feels like when I had been uh, invited to be the interim chaplain to the state of New Hampshire House of Representatives, it's the largest uh, state legislative body in the United States, 435 uh, delegates to this body. And, and I had been asked to be the chaplain, which basically entails that you rise at the beginning of every session and you offer a brief prayer. Before they begin, you know, sort of their political fighting Whatever it happened to be on any given day And after that first day, I remembered as if it was yesterday I put on a suit and tie and I shaved and I looked good And I had memorized my prayer And I was going to stand up there in front of these 435 delegates And I was going to give the most articulate and moving prayer That you could possibly give and when I sat down, the speaker of the house at the time leaned over to me. And she said, thank you for that prayer. I think you're a keeper. And I remember at that time uh, swelling with pride. Because here I was, this young uh, pastor, rubbing shoulders with all these people of power and influence in, in, in the New Hampshire State uh state of House of Representatives. And I continued to show up and I prayed. And I didn't mince any words when I pray. I mean, you, you, can, you, you can see that in me. I'm not kind of a word mincer when it comes to this sort of thing. And uh, I didn't sanitize my prayers in order to keep all the atheists happy. Didn't care. One day the speaker called me up and she said, Reverend Bergfolk, I'm sorry... But I'm receiving a lot of feedback from from the members. That's how they talk about each other. The members. And I'm going to have to disinvite you as our interim chaplain. Disinvite. And I said to her, okay, uh, oh, is that political speak for I'm fired? Can you believe I did that to the to the House of Representatives speaker of the House? Wow. Anyway, she uh there's a long pause after I asked that and she said, Well, yeah. You see, what was going on is when I prayed, I prayed with the belief that Jesus and the kingdom of God was in charge and and, and the the kingdom of this world was not. And how long is that going to work in a gathering of people that are all about the kingdom of this world? Well, for me, it lasted about three months. You see, the kingdom of God always confronts The kingdom of this world. And and this will often cause this uneasy tension, as I've described. So let's just take a look really quickly at some of the characteristics of God's kingdom in contrast to this kingdom of the world, and uh, then we'll be on our way. The first characteristic that I uh, want you to know is that God's kingdom is for all of us. It's for all of us. You see, we have seen Jesus in the course of this sermon series encounter people from the religious elite to the social outcasts, and and the prevailing characteristic of God's kingdom that we've seen in all of these counter is that God's kingdom extends to every single one of these people. You see, what we do is we draw lines, we create boundaries, we set standards of behavior. If you if you behave like this, you're in. And if you behave like this, you're out. Sometimes, even in our arrogance, we come across like we're the only ones that God is likely to welcome into His kingdom. Yet in every case that we've seen Jesus interact with people in the Gospels, Jesus surprises us when He welcomes one more person to follow Him whether it's the Samaritan woman at the well caught in adultery or the woman caught in adultery the demon possessed man Levi the tax collector I mean how low can you get they're all invited to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God on Jesus' invitation you've heard me say this many times I think it's a hallmark of my, my uh, ministry at this point and I'll, I'm going to say it again Just for good measure, Jesus' kingdom is for us, regardless of the path that we've traveled to get here. Jesus is for you, not against you. And if we want our church to look like God's kingdom, then guess what? Then we must never lose sight of this fundamental value of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is for all of us. And that includes the people that aren 't even here yet. That includes the people that are a little sketchy. maybe they don 't shower every day. includes the people that that believe differently than we do about certain political hot potatoes god 's kingdom is for all of us. The second characteristic of god 's kingdom is that god 's kingdom challenges our preconceptions. Yes, it does (laughs) And as religious leaders of this text Waited for Jesus to respond to their trap They had a boatload Let me assure you A boatload of preconceptions About the nature of God And religious practice Isn't this kind of what happens to religious people The more inoculated we get In the context of our religiosity Even when it's based in good intentions We often are the ones That have the most preconceptions Right? And I want to suggest to you today that it was their preconceptions about God that got them in trouble in the first place. You see, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus says, in that very well-known conversation between he and that religious leader named Nicodemus, no one can predict how the Spirit of God will go. The Spirit goes where it wants to, just like the wind blows. Just like those 70-mile-an-hour winds that come off the... Cook inlet and hammer the upper hillside. Now, unless we've sort of completely figured out how to live by the value of God's kingdom in this world, which most, many of us, or most of us haven't figured it all out, then we are going to feel the, the pinch of God's kingdom. Pressing in against us from time to time. We're gonna feel the, the tension of, of, of God's kingdom asking us to reevaluate perhaps a, a, a view that we hold or a habit that we have. God's kingdom will challenge our political views. God's kingdom will challenge our lifestyles. God's kingdom will ask us to reconsider how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our devotion. You see, having misconceptions isn't bad. It only becomes dangerous when we we become so rigid that our preconceptions become the rule and there's no room left for God. I was talking with a retired pilot the other day. And I was commenting to him how tragic it was that this young man and this young woman uh, died in that small plane crash down at Merrill Field. You probably read about it or heard about it. And uh, I, I just asked him offhand, you know, what do you think happened? He goes, well, I don't think it was a mechanical fail- failure. Probably what happened is the plane stalled. And when that happens, uh, the plane falls out of the sky. And and then he said this He said A lot of inexperienced pilots Make the mistake Of when their engines fail They pull the nose up When what they should actually do Is push the nose down Which is exactly the opposite Of what you would think You're supposed to do You see this is what The kingdom of God is like Sometimes we think The right and the religious course of action Is to go one way to pull the nose up, if you will, when what Jesus is asking us to do is to push the nose down. And the challenge for most of us is allowing ourselves to be open to another way of seeing things rather than, than holding on to our preconceptions right or wrong. God's kingdom will always challenge our preconceptions last God's kingdom is demonstrated in broken people God's kingdom is demonstrated in broken people I love this I love this part of God's kingdom we sometimes mistakenly believe that in order to be used by God we've, we've got to get our act together first right We've, we've gotta have it all figured out, but, but that's not how God's kingdom works. Jesus calls people into his, his kingdom whose lives are demonstrably broken. God's kingdom is demonstrated by broken people. Think about it. Peter, he's an average fisherman who, when the pressure is brought to bear, he denies that he knows Jesus. And in the end, Jesus meets him on a beach for breakfast and says in so many words, It's okay, Peter. It's okay. I love you. Follow me. Or Paul, a brilliant intellect, a persecutor of the followers of Jesus, a Jewish teacher who knew the law backwards and forwards. And he was traveling from one place to another And along the way he meets Jesus And his life is never the same He becomes the champion And and the founder And and the the church planter extraordinaire for, For the Christian church And then there's the woman caught in adultery Brought to Jesus by religious authorities To be made an example of And when Jesus was finished with her She rose to her feet With a new understanding of the love and the grace of God Do I need to keep going to convince you that the kingdom is demonstrated by broken people? And then there's a guy on the cross. Remember that story, the thief on the cross? Spent his life as a petty criminal. He finally gets caught, and he's sentenced to death for his life of sin. And when he asks Jesus to remember him in his coming kingdom, Jesus looks at him square in the eye, and he says, oh, don't you worry. You'll be there. That's my paraphrase. Gregory Boyd says the kingdom of God is not some opaque reality. It always looks like Jesus. It's not some opaque reality. It's not some airy, fairy thing that you can't get your your head around. It always
1: looks like Jesus.
0: God's kingdom is demonstrated by broken people because God's kingdom is not like all other kingdoms, which brings me back to where I started a moment ago. I believe, I believe that the people who watched this little exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders over the, over whose face was on the coin were amazed because their eyes were opened to the character of God's kingdom that's what i think so so what's the upshot of all this talk about god's kingdom if you're sitting here today and you believe that god's kingdom is for everyone except you then jesus says to you like he has countless times before to countless other people come follow me you're welcome If you are here today and you think you've got the kingdom of God all figured out and you've got all your categories just where they need to be, then perhaps God is calling you to reconsider some of your preconceptions about God's kingdom. If you find yourself here this morning bruised and broken and wondering, how in the world could God use a person like me I want you to hear me when I say to you that God's kingdom is demonstrated by bruised and broken
1: people. Do you hear me?
0: So, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've been, Jesus invites even you in your brokenness into a life of God's kingdom. And that even though it sometimes seems like a life in some, even, uh, some other kingdom might be more fun, might be more profitable, might result in you getting a little bit more uh, applaud, applause by people around you. Don't be fooled. The kingdom of God is by far the better choice. The kingdom of God will ultimately prevail and all of the other kingdoms of this world will pass away this text is a, is a text about your loyalty the question I want to leave you with this morning is which kingdom are you following let's pray holy God we, we desire to be kingdom people. We feel the tension that exists between some of the other kingdoms that vie for our, our focus. This morning, some of us feel that sense of calling that you are making to us in a, in a very particular way to realign our lives more towards your kingdom and less toward the kingdom that we happen to be following at the moment. And God, my prayer for for us is that when those nudgings occur that you will give us the courage and the ability to look at the kingdom of the world and look at the kingdom of God and be willing to turn our back on the one so we might follow you into the other. In the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.